Philippians 4. Let's look at this. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word that's living and active. We thank you that you are speaking, God, that you have not left us to guess who you are and why you've placed us in this world and what we're designed for and what, what true life and beauty and goodness is, but you have put it all over the pages of Scripture. And so we pray that you might send your Spirit to be at work in us, uh, convicting our hearts, encouraging us, challenging us, pointing us to Jesus this evening. We pray that, that our time here, reflecting over what Paul is saying, might might overflow into the rest of our lives, into this week, and reshape us and make us more and more like Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I've kind of been on a roll with the office illustrations this semester, so I thought I'd just finish out with one more from season four. I love the you guys, are you guys going to be like the, the Muppets? You know those two old Muppets that like sit up in the thing and then they like heckle people? I actually had two guys that were kind of like that at my previous large group. But anyway, The Office, season four, episode four. It's called Money. Um, and it's the episode's all about Michael Scott's money problems. Uh, he actually, at the beginning of the episode, there's like a little talking head. And he's like, yeah, money, money's been a little tight lately. But at the end of my life, when I'm sitting on my yacht, am I going to be thinking about how much money I have? No, I'm going to be thinking about how many friends I have and my children and my comedy albums. I mean, I have a yacht, so I obviously did well money-wise. But later, as the episode goes on, Michael, he's working two jobs just to make ends meet. And everyone else finds out in the office, and they're starting to get concerned. Oscar, the accountant, just straight up asks him in the break room, Michael, are, are you having money problems? And Michael responds, monkey problems? No, I'm not having monkey problems. Why, why would I be having monkey problems? And Oscar's like, you heard me correctly. And Michael's just like, 
ah, I hate monkeys. And they, and they keep pressing him, and he's like, I don't have, monkey, I don't have money problems. See, now I'm just going to say monkey problems. Um, and he actually he pulls out this $1 bill, and he like crumples it up and like acts like he's going to throw it away, but he actually sticks it in his back pocket. And he's like, would I do that if I had money problems? Talking about money is really uncomfortable. Uh, that's why they can make a whole two-part episode about it in the office. Most of us don't want to be in any kind of situation where we're having to ask other people for money or depend on other people. Um, and I think this is because money is just this really powerful thing. Like we think, on one level, it, it's the key to real life and happiness. Uh, we resent those who have a ton of it. We look down on those who don't really have much of it. Churches themselves could be super weird and do super weird things. You might have like showed up to a church on Sunday and like they just did this very uncomfortable thing, basically trying to give you get get you to give them money. Well, Paul here in Philippians, I think on the service the first time reading it, it, it almost seems like he's having this weird conversation about money with Philippians. And, and in a way, money problems, Paul's money problems, his situation is really what caused this whole letter to begin with. Paul, if you remember, I've mentioned this a few times, he is in prison. He is awaiting trial to see what's going to happen to him in Rome. He, he may die at the end of this trial. And back in that time, the jail system, people had to provide for it. It wasn't just this thing where they just take care of you. You had to have friends and family that sent you provision. And so the whole reason this letter exists is the Philippians sent financial support to uh, Paul in jail, and, he, and then he sent this letter back with them. And, and finally, Paul's addressing that here at the end of the letter, but he seems to have sort of mixed feelings about this. I, I, I appreciate how this one commentator framed what Paul kind of can sound like. He says, I'm glad that at long last, after waiting all this time, you finally decided to think about me. Of course, I realized you were meaning to do it, you, you just couldn't get around to do it. I, I hope you understand, however, that I don't really need the money. My circumstances do not bother me. I've learned to handle all kinds of situations. Nevertheless, it's a good thing that you decided to send the money. I mean, for your sake, of course, not mine. You're the ones really who are profiting by sending this offering. I mean, imagine if somebody said that to you after you gave them some money. I think, I think you might be a little irritated, a little confused. Like, Paul, like, why can't you just be thankful and accept this gift? Like, why, are, why all these qualifications? And it's because Paul wants the Philippians to see there, there is something much more important, much more essential than what they have. He wants them to see that in the gospel, there is this new wealth that they have that is greater than any gift anyone could provide. And the, and the very fact, actually, that they're taking up this offering for him in their poverty is already showing that they're beginning to tap into it. Paul wants the Philippians to see that connection to Christ gives them a new wealth that frees them to be content and generous. And that's really our, our final exhortation to us this evening from this letter that we've spent so much time in this semester. Connection to Christ gives us a new wealth that can make us content and generous. And, and our two main ways we're going to explore that tonight in this passage is, one, the root of contentment, and secondly, the fruit of generosity. So first, the root of contentment. 
Again, what, why does Paul need to make all these qualifications about not needing it? Because he knows the human heart is just so universally discontent. Like that is our default. Contentment is not just something we happen upon once we finally get to the stage where our needs are, are met. I mean, think about, there's so many examples of this in popular culture. I almost couldn't even decide which ones to even use. One that you've probably heard is John D. Rockefeller, this guy, massive, like, oil tycoon guy. Probably had, I think at one point he, like, himself owned, like, 1% to 2% of, like, the entire, like, GDP of the world. He was asked, how much money is enough? And he said, a little bit more. And then maybe going a little bit further in time, Tom Brady, uh, when he was asked in an interview several years ago, uh, at this point he had three Super Bowl rings. Uh, he had, the interviewer asked him, what, what's your favorite Super Bowl ring? And he responded, the next one, yeah. And of course we know many years later, Tom Brady, he has four more rings and, and he was married to this supermodel who was actually wealthier than him. And yet currently he is so bent on still getting the next one that he's thrown away those 13 years of marriage, thrown away so many good things that were going on in his life. I think this is why uh, another celebrity, Jim Carrey, famously said that he wished that everybody could get rich and be famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they could see that that's not the answer. But I think most of us, we really don't want to believe Jim Carrey. We, want, we kind of think, well, yeah, you have all the money. You're up there at the top. Like, that's really easy for you to say that. Maybe you're discontent, but if I had that, there's no way I would be discontent. We really think that if we just get into the right life circumstances, we're finally going to be content. Things are going to be great. If we hit this certain stage of career success, if we get that sort of money in our bank account, if we find that right person that we can marry, if we're finally just have to stop worrying about money and we're free to travel the world and we can eat wherever we want, we'll be content. But it never happens. Despite our protesting, what Jim Carrey is saying, we, we hear this truth from so many celebrities, from so many people who have obtained everything that we want, and we feel it in our hearts. Contentment is just constantly evading us, and the quest for more seems to only deepen our discontent. And it's in the face of this reality that Paul is really saying something radical. I mean, again, he, he is in jail awaiting this trial that could result in his death. And yet, look, look again at verses 11 through 13. He writes, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Contentment is evasive, but it is not an impossibility. Just as it's going to be possible 
for you guys to study for your finals and actually pass them, we can actually work at contentment and actually achieve it. But how does that happen? What it, What is Paul's school of, intentment, of contentment? How does this work out in our lives? Well, verse 12, Paul is really highlighting these two extremes of life that we experience in which we learn this lesson, that he knows how to be brought low and he knows how to abound. So what what's happening where we're, we're being brought low? Why would Jesus even let us be brought low? Well, in the words of the famous missionary Corey Ten Boom, uh, a quote that's in your handout, you may never know Jesus is all that you need until Jesus is all that you have. Right, right after I finished up my internship uh, with RUF at Middle Tennessee State University, Kim and I got married. Um, she was going to PA school in Nashville. And I just had to find a job. Like I was done with the internship. I was stuck there. We, we weren't going to move anywhere. I had to find some job. And the, the market was not real hot at that time for uh, English and philosophy majors. There just weren't a lot of jobs out there. I don't know why. You know, it's just, just a hard time for philosophy majors. Um, so I ended up working, coming in as an entry-level worker at a brand-new Amazon fulfillment center uh, that had been built probably about five minutes from where I lived. And it was a really grueling boring job most of the time i wasn't even allowed to bring my phone in and listen to podcasts or music you'd be like in the dining hall for your 30 minute uh lunch break and like everybody would be talking to each other and be like well how'd you end up here it was like we were in jail or something like no one was there (laughs) on purpose uh and on top of that like every single week uh it was like this game of like who's gonna survive like someone either quit or got fired every week at this place and in many ways at that point in my life it just felt like everything had gone wrong I was not where I planned to be after I graduated and yet I had many many days there where I can honestly say I was incredibly content how did that happen well, it happened. Uh, I couldn't bring my phone in there. But one thing I started to do is, is I would sneak in uh, these index cards that I would, had just written scripture on. And, and as I was, like, taking these items and, like, stowing them in bins and scanning them in and going all over the f- fulfillment center, doing all these different things, I would just be meditating on these verses. And, and those little index cards in my pocket, like, suddenly became, like, gold to me. I particularly remember meditating on the opening to Ephesians. Uh, We read there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. As I was being brought low, The Spirit was using that, causing me to find strength in Christ. Those words in the middle of being brought low were no longer just words on a page, but they were living realities that I tasted and saw, that I saw the riches of his grace that had been lavished upon me. And so I was content. I had all that I needed. I could keep scanning those items into that bin. I could be there as long as Jesus wanted me to be there. 
because I had Jesus and he was all I needed. But yet, Paul tells us it's not just our lowest times that we must learn the secret. It's not just then that the Spirit is trying to teach us to find our everything in Christ. But abounding is almost just as crucial. And I would say, actually, harder. I mean, many of you maybe feel like you're in a stage right now, maybe not at this point in the semester, but maybe overall in this semester where you are abounding, like, You are climbing the ladder. You're heading where you want to go. You've got abounding grades and you're networking and you've got great friendships. You've got great romantic things going on. You've, you've got, you're getting, getting ready to go travel abroad, go to Italy, do something in a couple weeks. Like you have got a lot of great things going on and you're thinking, if I could just keep this going, just keep having career success, keep having relational success, keep having everything work like I'm going to finally be content. But you may find, just as we said earlier with those, those examples, that when you get everything you're chasing after, you're still strangely discontent. All of that chasing won't matter if you don't know how to abound. Tom Brady did not know how to abound. Like, he couldn't stop and look around and say, wow, like, I have been incredibly blessed by God. This beautiful spouse and a family. I've had such a great opportunity to do something I love to do and to use my athletic gifts. Like how, how might I serve my family and other people in this position? He had to have more. It wasn't enough. If you are in this place where you're, you're abounding, if you feel like you have everything and yet you're still not content, maybe consider that's the spirit too, pushing you to realize your need to see all the riches, everything you're seeking after is found in Christ. You know, to a certain extent, I, I've experienced that this year. Moving from RUF at IUP to RUF at Wofford was, was kind of an upgrade on a, on a superficial, you know, just looking at it from the outside level. Wofford's a beautiful campus. IUP is kind of an ugly campus. You can go look it up. Um, <laughs> it, it, I'm, there's more students in the room in my large group. My biggest large group was like 30 students at IUP. Uh, I, we, our house is nicer. I like Spartanburg better than Indiana, Pennsylvania. It's a nicer town. There's more stuff to do. Uh, we live closer to my family. And I thought going in, I thought I was just going to show up and just be boom, I'm content, I'm just going to ride this wave of blessing and contentment and my life's going to be easy. And yet, what do I find sneaking up in my heart? Discontentment. I needed to learn just as much how to abound as I did to learn how to be, to be laid low. The, the secret that Paul is talking about that, that frees us from money and success and beauty and popularity is the secret that really realizing Jesus is all we need. And this being laid low and the abounding, there's these two tensions, life circumstances in life that teach us this lesson. In being laid low, we actually discover Jesus is all we need. And in abounding, we find out that all the money and success and beauty in the world isn't enough to satisfy our heart. And we go back to Jesus again in that as well. 
and we come to Paul's conclusion, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul's loosened his grip on the circumstances of his life because he's tightened his grip on Christ. And that's made him stronger and stronger. But, but the root of contentment uh, is not where Paul wants to stop here. That, that is meant to go deep into our lives so then it might grow into this fruit of this generous life. This deepening realization of this new wealth that we have in Christ, it's meant to make us generous people. And Paul, in his closing words, he's already celebrating. The good news is that's already happening in the Philippians. Look there at verse 14 um, to 20. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, know yourself that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches, his riches in glory in Christ Jesus to God, our, to our Father, God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, when I was in my last few years of seminary, um, you're kind of in this stage where you and all your friends that are in similar year to you, you're thinking about, you know, it's like you seniors. What am I going to do after this? Where am I going to end up serving in the church? Uh, many of them are really interested in stuff like RUF and mission work and church planning. But the one thing that kept them from really seriously considering it was that you have to fundraise for those jobs. You, they did not want to have awkward conversations with people about money. They did not want to ask people for money. Uh, and when I, I took that job uh, to start working for RUF at IUP and to, to be the one that was starting the ministry, there was a lot of fundraising involved in that process. And to be frank, I did often dread asking people for money. Like I was very afraid of being rejected and hearing people be like, no, I think what you're doing is stupid and it's not going to work and I don't want to give you any money. Or uh, just people thinking like, Oliver, why, like, go get a real job. Like, why, why are you asking me for money? And, and yet I loved and I believed so much in the mission of RUF that I, I was willing to struggle through those conversations. And as I did that, began to realize more and more that there were so many people out there that had truly come to know the grace of Jesus in their life. And for them, giving was a joy. My asking them to give was actually this great opportunity for them to go deeper into their union with Christ and, and to rejoice in the gospel. By asking them to support RUF's work of furthering the gospel, I was giving every person an opportunity to bear fruit. I was seeking the fruit that would increase to their credit, in Paul's words. That's what Paul is trying to get the Philippians to see. His relationship with them is not about the money. He doesn't, he, he, he's kind of outrageously like bold. This guy's in prison. He's like, I don't need the money. Like one way or another, God is going to provide. But he's grateful for what's happening in them because of what it's doing for them and what it's showing about how Jesus is at work in them. He's so pumped because it's the very answer to the prayer that he prayed at the very beginning of the letter that 
their love might abound more and more, and they might be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Their generosity was truly this so real, tangible revelation that they were connected to Christ. I think it's interesting how you see that in the way he describes their gift in verse 18. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The only other place this is used in the entire New Testament is Ephesians 5, where Paul tells the Ephesians church, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul is so joyful and excited about what is going on in them. He is seeing Christ formed within them. He's seeing them being remade after the image of the generous God who created them, who created the world, who richly provides for everything. Contentment in Christ is making them more like Christ. And so if you're growing in contentment in Christ— where can you begin to actualize this? Where can you be generous? What fruit can you bear, even while you're at Wofford, from your contentment? If you're beginning to find that. I, I know a lot of you guys don't have a lot of money uh, to give uh, your students. Um, but maybe look at your whole life through this lens. Like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I working so hard in my classes? Why am I involved in all these things? Why do I constantly want to fill my calendar up with stuff? Is it so that I'm working towards this life of contentment, being rooted in Christ, so that I might be generous towards others? Or or am I still trying to do what Tom Brady and what John D. Rockefeller, and I'm still just wanting a little bit more? And maybe just a practical way you guys can manifest this is just your time. That, That might be the biggest thing you can be generous with. At Wofford, how how do you view your time? Are you very stingy about it? I mean, I mean, think about you could actually be like Jesus in that way. Jesus had like no money. That's another funny thing. If you read the Gospels, like he was literally there was like a group of women that like followed him around and supported him to be doing what he was doing. So the thing that Jesus was the most generous with was the time he had, with the conversations he had with people, with the people he invested in. If you're, if you're already doing that, that, that's a sign that you are, you are in this process, you're becoming content in Christ, and it's bearing fruit in this generous posture towards other people. The more we're rooted in Christ and finding contentment in him, the more this generosity is going to become natural. And again, this is because this is who God is. Like, that's what Paul's reminding the Philippians of in verse 20. God will supply every need of ours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He doesn't just supply some needs, but every need. And he doesn't do it just according to a little bit, but according to his riches. And I think often one of the reasons we can be so discontent and so stingy is because we don't really think God is generous towards us. I think we're often startled and disarmed when we have real generosity before us. I, I had experience, again, going to my whole, you know, the fundraising stuff that I have to do being in campus ministry. One time I was sitting down uh, to lunch with someone who I had met him a couple times at this church that I spoke at. 
And, uh, you know, I was thinking, this guy seems interested in what I'm doing. Maybe I'll, I'll meet up with him, see if he'll, like, support me 50 bucks a month or something like that. And uh, I get into the conversation, and in about 10 minutes, we're just kind of getting to know each other a little bit. He just looks at me with a big smile on his face and says, you should ask me for $5,000. I, I was, like, totally floored. Again, I was going to ask this guy for 50 bucks a month. I didn't know this guy at all. Like, I, I just met him at this church. I wasn't related to him. Like, I, he had no history or connection to IUP. He had no, there was no reason he should care about what I was doing. All that we had in common was Jesus. And really, that's all that was there to account for his radical generosity. The more we talked, the more I've gotten to know this, this guy the more I, like, this is a guy just overflowing with Jesus. This is a guy that is so deeply rooted and content in Jesus. And, and so that's the answer for us. If we're struggling with contentment, if, if we're feeling we are just so stingy with our time, with the way we view life, we've got to go back to Jesus and hear him telling us every day, ask me for $5,000, ask me for $10,000, ask me for more than you've ever imagined I would give. Because I'm going to provide you everything you need, every need. You know, Paul, Paul had one other uh, pretty awkward uh, conversation about money. Uh, it's in another letter he wrote in 2 Corinthians, uh, where he's, he's more directly, he's actually asking for money this time. He's asking the Corinthian church to give in 2 Corinthians 8. Uh, and, and as he says that, you know, he's saying some of the same things. I, I want you to excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and see you excel in this act of grace of giving also. And he says, I say this not as a command, but to, but to prove by the earnest of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you by his poverty might become rich. That's really what we're celebrating in this time of Christmas that we're going towards. This season of Advent where the, the God had this infinite bank account. He had all riches and, and he emptied it in Christ. He emptied it in becoming man and in, in becoming a servant. And literally, as I just said earlier, he was walking around with not a dollar to his name, depending on others. And he did all that so that we might be filled with the riches of his grace and transformed through our connection to him into content, generous, beautiful, loving people. Let me close us in prayer. Father, I, I pray that you would do that. Transform us by your grace through your spirit into content and generous people what what an impact that would have in all the little relationships each person in this room has with others on campus with our family what a radical change it would be if if our hearts posture changed from constantly guarding our time and our money and our energy and instead uh, out of an overflow of our deep sense of your love for us um, poured it out for others. It's not possible for us to do this on our own. 
Um, we are very discontent, very stingy people. Um, it only happens through you at work in us. And so we ask that you might do these things in Jesus name. Amen.